Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Well, good morning, Lifehouse. Good morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Andrew Manable. I have the privilege and honor of being the student ministries pastor here at Lifehouse. And like Dixie said, Pastor Kip's voice is not doing so great this morning, so I am going to bring the word this morning to you. But today is the last day of our fast. Can I get an amen for those of you that have been fasting this week? It's been, <laughs> it's been a fast. It's been a great, but we, our prayer is that you met with God this week, that God met you where you were in your moment of prayer and fasting this week, and in some way that you pushed in some ways, you pushed aside that physical need of food or that, uh, that addiction to social media or TV or whatever it was, but you pushed through that and that God uh, met with you. Or maybe your eyes were opened, maybe your perspective changed, or maybe a stronghold began to be broken. Maybe you got the answer to the prayer that you've been asking for way too long. Maybe you simply began to pray differently this week and you said, God, your will be done and you got out of your own way. Whatever it was that took place, with you spiritually this week during the fast, I want to encourage you to write it down. Make sure you hold on to that. Tuck that in your Bible. Make sure that you have that so that you can look back onto it for this year and say, at the beginning of this year, this is what God said to me. This is what God told me this year. Well, our hearts are really, uh, um, uh, really, our hearts and our prayers are that you really experience the Lord this past week. But this morning, as we wrap up the fast and we wrap up this message series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's not that we couldn't preach so many more messages on the Lord's Prayer, on Jesus' perfect model of prayer, but uh, this is going to be the last one to, to wrap this up. But I hope these messages have encouraged you. I hope that you begin to see a pattern in which Jesus taught his disciples and he taught us how to pray. So in this morning, in opening, let's, uh, let's pray and um, read the scripture of the Lord's Prayer together this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we I mean, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If we look close at this model prayer that Jesus gave, you'll see that the first three verses lend themselves to honoring God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the last three verses really focus on our needs and our concerns. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe a debt to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Turn to somebody, turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to be tempted. Matthew 6, 13 says, and do not let us yield into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I really like that wording in the NLT there. It is to keep us from the temptation of sin, to keep us from what will separate us from God, to keep me from giving in or yielding to sin in a way or to the, uh, yielding in sin in any way or yielding to the evil one. Keep me aware of those temptations. That's what this prayer says, right? To keep us aware of those temptations that are around us, to keep us vigilant to keep us on our toes, to keep me in a state of spiritual strength so that we can resist anything that the devil throws at us. Keep me from temptation. The word temptation here in this, in this Jesus' model prayer, in the Lord's prayer, is the same Greek word that's translated as temptation. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was tempted. 
Jesus, the Son of God, was tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness while he was fasting and he was praying. And Jesus was tempted by Satan. And we will be tempted by Satan. We will be enticed to do the wrong things. We will be told to do things that go against what God tells us to do. No one escapes temptation. And we all must endure it. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for he has been approved and he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This passage of scripture is saying that Satan is the source of, our, of all evil and temptation. But we are the ones that allow our desires to draw us away from God. We're the ones that allow it, or, or, uh, or we, we allow it or we resist it. We can choose to stay close to Jesus or we can choose to give in to that temptation. This, this passage of scripture really shows the, pa- the passage of temptation in our lives as almost like a growing up, as a, as a birth process. Wrong desires give birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. It says that blessed is a man who endures temptation. So if we're going to live a successful, spiritual lives, we're going to have to stay close to God. And we, to do that, we must be successful in resisting temptation. Because temptation is going to come. You're going to be tempted. And we need to be experts at recognizing its danger. It's a good thing to recognize danger. It's a good thing if you can identify, uh, identify the trouble in the making. Well, before it happens, if you can realize that and say, hey, that's, that's going to cause trouble, it's important for you to see what's coming at you. Because what you don't know can kill you. Ignorance is not bliss, right? If I was standing on the edge of the cliff, right? Pretend I'm standing on the edge of the cliff. And I know this is just a, you know, it's a small cliff, right? But pretend it was 60 feet or 600 feet, right? If I'm standing on that edge of that cliff, if I didn't know that the rocks underneath that cliff were crumbling, it could kill me if I went too close to the edge. You're going to have a bad day. If you're on the edge and you're not aware of what's going on, if you're not aware of those rocks crumbling, you're going to have a bad day, a really bad day, depending on how high that cliff is, right? But, uh, if, or, and not recognizing that the light is red, right, while you're speeding down the road is not bliss for very long, right? Anybody ever been T-boned? Ever been in a bad car accident and you're hit like that? Not fun. Not great. You have a... Uh, you know, that, that, that sudden, that impact, it, it jars us. And it's, if we don't know that it's coming, if we don't see that it's coming, it's not bliss, right? Same way that is with temptation. We need, to rec- we need to recognize Satan's tactics in temptation. We need to know what and how we will throw at us to tempt us. And Jesus gave us a model for this. He showed us, the word of God shows us the three tactics that, temp- that Satan has uh, to tempt us. And while Jesus, whenever he was, before he started his ministry, he went into the wilderness and he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And Jesus overcame every one of those temptations that Satan threw at him. 
But before we go, a little context. Jesus is about 30 years old whenever he goes to start his ministry, and he's been baptized, and he's been, he's been, he uh, goes into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days. And here he is about to go public with his ministry, and Jesus is um, he's fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. But before we get into the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for the reading of your word this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, use it like your word says to divide uh, soul and spirit, joint and marrow, God, that is a sharp two-edged sword, God. Reveal to us what you would have us to learn this morning, God, from your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Matthew 4.1 says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. How many of you would be hungry after 40 days? Come on. It's been a week and we've been hungry, right? Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's the enticement here, right? What is the desire? What is the temptation that Satan is throwing his way? He's saying, hey, Jesus, I bet you're pretty hungry. Right? He's saying, I bet, that, I bet those rocks, you could turn them into bread. Satan is playing on Jesus' current circumstances. And he will do that to us, too. That's one of his first tactics. He will play on our current circumstances just like he did Jesus's. But he's also playing on something else here. He's playing on Jesus' flesh. Because Jesus was 100% man, 100% flesh, and 100% God. Jesus knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to deal with the mental and physical challenges of fasting for 40 days. And his current circumstance was that extreme hunger. A 40-day fast is no joke. His flesh was craving food big time. Satan's tactic here, lust of the flesh. But you turn to your neighbor and tell them, your flesh lusts for things. Some of us, if we fasted for 40 days, we would start lusting for a cheeseburger. I mean, some of us, that's true, even after 40 hours, we'd be wanting that cheeseburger. We'd be lusting after that cheeseburger, right? Cheeseburger sounds pretty good right now, by the way. <laughs> but uh, we've, I've heard stories of people that, that are starving, and then they do crazy things if they go too long without food. It's nasty and awful things, uh, and I can't even imagine it. But our flesh craves strange things when it's in the wrong circumstances, I want to tell you, do not underestimate the power of your flesh. I'm not just talking about the power of the, of the lust of our flesh in desperate circumstances like starvation. But if we feed lust and desire of our flesh, it gets stronger. If you feed something, if you want, if I have a, a, a prize-winning goat at home, right? And I want it to win more awards down at the farm show. I'm going to feed it. I'm going to make this the prettiest looking goat, the strongest looking goat out there. I'm going to make it, I'm going to feed it and I'm going to make it grow. That's what it is if we feed our lusts and desires. It makes it more powerful. It makes it stronger. When we don't satisfy that lust or desire in our lives, that flesh, by not feeding it, we don't empower it. We don't satisfy it by starving it. When we empower that lust or that desire by feeding it, by giving in to that temptation. If your flesh is lusting over somebody of the opposite sex, feeding that lust empowers it. Or maybe your, your lust for your life is revenge. 
right? And you're like, and that starts in your heart and that starts in your head. And you're like, I just really want to get them. And I just really want to see justice here. And you would seek that revenge. That's, that starts in a way that you can start to physically act out on it. When you feed that lust and that desire, it makes it stronger. If we want to kill off that desire or that wrong lust or that, that bad thing, that thing that we seek after and lust after, we have to starve it. Not feed it, we want to starve it. What did Satan say to Jesus? I'm sorry, what did Jesus say to Satan? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is, this is Jesus saying, I'm not going to empower my lust for food by giving in to you. He says, I'll starve that lust. Even after 40 days, he's choosing. This is Jesus saying, my desire is for God's word. My desire is for God, not for bread, not for that physical sustenance. We need to starve that fleshly desire and feed it God's word. That's exactly what Jesus did. If you, if you lust in the flesh, we have to starve that sucker. You have to starve it. You have to drown it out with God's word. Don't feed it. Don't coddle that lust. Don't entertain it. Don't linger there. You need to drown it in God's word. The devil takes another swipe at Jesus here by tempting him. Again, a little side note here, Satan has no other tricks. This is his one bag of tricks, right? As, as believers, as followers of Jesus, this is the only thing he can do. He can, the only thing he can do is tempt us. That's the only thing he can do. He can't physically attack us. This is the, it's been time and time again, all throughout history, we see it in the word of God, time and time again, is Satan tempting people. We see it in Adam and Eve in the garden. We saw it with Job he, was, Job, he was tempted. All these people, pick anyone who had a major moral and spiritual failure, they gave in to temptation. David with Bathsheba, they gave in to that temptation. Carry on, Matthew 4, 5 says, the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That's all the way up at the top. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What is the temptation tactic of the devil here, right? What is his second, bag, second trick here? It's pride, right? The devil says, throw yourself off this high place. You know who you are. You're God's son. You're Jesus. You won't fall five feet before the angels catch you. And you know what's crazy? The devil's not wrong here. He's not lying to Jesus. No one was going to take Jesus' life from him before it was time. He gave up his life. Multiple times we see in Jesus' ministry where the, they came to arrest him before it was time, but he, he miraculously escaped their capture. No one was going to take that from him, and even the devil knew that. And he tried to tempt Jesus with this pride. He was hoping that Jesus had this pride somewhere tucked down deep inside, that Jesus had this pride away in his spirit, in his mind, that, that he could use this this pride to get to him. The second tactic is the pride of life. Pride is a hidden killer in those who follow Jesus's life. Pride hides under the surface, under the surface until just the right moment. It can be cloaked and hidden and covered up by some sort of false humility. Ever hear somebody saying a humble brag? There's some pride in that, but it will show itself eventually. And when it shows up, 
It is deadly. It'll take you out. This is why God hates pride. He hates it. We don't see too many things in the Bible that God hates, but pride is probably top on that list. I'm going to give you some rapid-fire scriptures here about pride. Proverbs 8.3. Proverbs is the best place to look. If you're looking for wisdom from the Word of God, go to the book of Proverbs, man. It's all in there. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 16.5, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 11.12, Proverbs says, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with humble is the wisdom. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Proverbs 27, 2, let another man praise you, but not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Proverbs 16, 6, and these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. The first one on this list is a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that are swift to run to evil and a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates pride. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's Paul saying, be like Jesus, who in being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. That's humility. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, he has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. That's the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus shunned pride. He humbled himself when he came to this earth, when he came as an infant. We just celebrated Christmas, right? That's Jesus humbling himself, humbly coming to earth. And if anyone had a right to be proud, if anyone had even the slightest inkling that they could have some pride in their life, it was Jesus because he was the son of God in human form. But he didn't. He had no pride whatsoever. And pride is a sin. Pride is a killer too. It'll take you out. And God hates pride. And Satan knows that. Because pride is what got him and all those who followed him kicked out of heaven in the first place. Satan wanted to elevate himself to a position of one like God. He wanted to set himself above God, like an equal to God. He wanted to be uh, with God. He tried to be God. It was his pride. It's what, him got, it's what got him kicked out of heaven. And what was Jesus' answer to being tempted with this pride? Jesus said to him again, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
Jesus is saying, don't even tempt me with pride, devil. He said, I know it's sin. I recognize it. And I won't even let it into my life. I know the destruction that it carries. Can I give you some, a great response to dealing with pride in your own life? You have to hate it. You have to hate pride as much as God hates pride if you want to truly get rid of it. And this isn't talking about confidence. Confidence is different, but this is a pride. This is a, a I made something of myself. This is a, a moment where you're, you're putting yourself up a position of elevation that you don't, you don't deserve. Because we have to hate pride. Why? Why do we have to hate it? Because if we don't hate it, we're going to give in to it. Because we remove ourselves from what we hate. If you love green carpet, you install green carpet in your house. If you hate green carpet, you tear that out, right? If you love coffee, you drink coffee. Jeff loves coffee. He loves iced coffee too. <laughs> if we recognize pride in our life for the killer that it is, we will remove ourselves from it. If we don't hate pride, we begin to coddle it and we tuck it away and save it for when we might need it later. The problem with that is the enemy will use that to take us out. He keeps probing us to see if it's there. We'll get tempted with pride if we hold on to it. We have to hate it. The last tactic that Satan has, he's only got three. We can track him. It's real easy. He's got three tactics here. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and this third one, Matthew 4, 8. And again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Satan will tempt us with what we see. His last tactic is the lust of the eyes. Being tempted with what I see. And we see what we see, we want. That's the temptation. We see it and we want it. Being tempted with, with that is just, it's because it's you can't have it unless you see it. It's the old carrot on a stick, right? Just because it's out there, you want it. Because you see it, you desire it. Seeing it makes us want it. Zach, if you'd come. If you're not completely sure how this temptation plays out, I got a great, great object lesson for you, right? We have a great kids ministry here at Lifehouse, and I have a five-year-old little girl, right? You want to see this temptation, the lust of the eyes in action? I, I, you can borrow my daughter this afternoon, go to Target, and I, you, you have to walk down the toy aisle, right? If you can walk down the toy aisle without her saying, I want that. Can I have that, please, please, please? Way better than me, because that's that temptation, right? They see something, and then they want it, right? If you don't have a five-year-old kid, there's plenty back there you can borrow one or something like that. But, <laughs> but there's, it's not just kids, right? It's adults, too. When we see something, we desire it. We want it. Whether it's that new truck or that new car or that boat, that piece of equipment, we see stuff and we want it. When we get in that visually stimulating environment, when we see things that we desire, we start salivating over that when it's right in front of our eyes. 
See, I have a weakness with cars and trucks and stuff. So I don't go to automotive dealerships. I don't go to car dealerships unless I'm going to buy a truck. Because if I do, I'm probably going to end up buying something because I know my weakness there, right? If we keep feeding that visual desire, if we keep feeding that temptation, it gets satisfied. It gets strengthened. And Satan tries to play Jesus in this way. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you just meet my condition, if you just fall down and worship me. He says, look, Jesus, look, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Look at all these kingdoms, and you can have that if you just compromise a little bit, if you just move a little bit, if you just worship me. One small compromise, Jesus, is all it takes. That's what the devil is saying to him. First of all, you need to know there is no small compromise when dealing with temptation, when dealing with Satan. When it comes to the wrong desires in your life, when it comes to lust in your life, those small compromises will take you out. You can make small compromises in your marriage with your kids. You can make small compromises, but you cannot make small compromises when it comes to Satan and when it comes to the wrong desires in your life. If we feed that wrong desire of our eyes, we will end up meeting that condition and it'll take us out spiritually. Like worshiping something we shouldn't worship, putting something above God that was never meant to be there. That's why the first commandment is put nothing else before me. God says, put nothing else before me. Make no other gods before me. Or participating in a sin that we never thought we would we would do by feeding that wrong desire of our eyes. So how do we kill temptation? How do we kill off temptation in our lives? we got to starve it. Don't feed it. Don't give in to it. Don't go to where you're temp- you know you might be tempted. You have to shut your eyes off to that thing. We have to starve the temptation and apply God's word. It's different Different tactic from the devil. It's the same solution for all of these. We have to starve that temptation and we have to apply God's word. And we have to throw everything we got at it biblically. That's why we encourage scripture memorization, right? So that kids can memorize scripture at a young age and learn the word of God so that when they're tempted when they're older, that they can learn those things. That they can have that as a weapon. When, when Satan says, hey, why don't you do this? They say, no, the Bible says this. That's why we encourage them to learn that and to get that in their hearts. Because we have to starve those desires and throw God's word at it. Just like Jesus said, away from you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And this is applicable to all temptations. This is the, the Jesus repeats this same method over and over with, with Satan here. If, Jesus, if there was another way to answer temptation, Jesus would have showed us, but he didn't. This is it. This is all we have to do. Jesus gave us a way to escape temptation. If you'd please stand in closing. The final line of the Lord's Prayer, the final line in, in Jesus' model prayer for us is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As a way of responding to God's word today, we're going to participate in communion. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you down to come collect the elements. They're in the front and there's one in the back as well. 
back over here by the sound booth. But we want to examine ourselves. The Word of God says that we need to examine ourselves. We need to ha have we given in to temptation? Now is the time to ask for forgiveness. If you fed into that temptation and that desire, and it's turned into sin and moved, it's moved you towards death. I encourage you to seek forgiveness. You come and gather the elements. Zach, if you'd play. The Lord bless you. shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. We sing give you a moment to get right with God. Get in that moment of where you're asking God for forgiveness and you're seeking him again once more. Ask Jesus to rid any pride any lust, any wrong desires in our life. I want us to remember, church, that it is Jesus. I want us to remember, Jesus, that it is his kingdom and his power and glory forever. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, that for whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord person ought to examine himself before he eats of this bread and drinks of this cup. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread with the last meal with his disciples and, and he broke that bread and he said, this bread represents my body. Take and eat this. Uh, take and eat. It's broken for you. same night after dinner Jesus took the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant and that new covenant was he was going to the cross he was foreshadowing his death he said this is the cup of new covenant which is my blood which is shed for you that's the way out of temptation that's our way out of temptation church that's how we, Jesus paid the price for us so that we don't have to give in to temptation he said take this cup it is new covenant in my blood 
This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Church, would you just worship him for what he's done for a moment? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is our way out of temptation. That's how we can overcome that. Because that's all he's got. That's all the devil's got is to tempt us. And we don't have to yield to it. Through Jesus, we can combat that. Thank you for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.